Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your home country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you. God. Thank you for the reading. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we come together this morning to hear from you. We thank you for your word that you have not left us in the dark wandering, wondering who you are and the way you work in the wor- this world, but you thank you for the scriptures. And we pray now as we look at this passage, we look at some other passages, that you would open our eyes by the power of the Spirit. Not just some interesting words that I say, not just some clever thoughts, but we need the Spirit to break in to my heart, my life, I'm in need of you. And your people are as well. So forgive us of our sins. Have mercy on us right now in these next few minutes we have together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I am a missionary. Uh, That's what they tell me, uh, that I am this thing called a missionary. And that's been a, um, at times, I have embraced that and embraced that to such a level that it has been a burden it has woken me up at three in the morning and like how, I've pulled my little hairs out, how am I going to get this done? This is not working this way I thought it was going to work. I thought I'd have enough money, I thought I'd have enough converts and whatever, whatever. But it's not like that, you know, and thankfully as I'm getting older and Lord is slowly working on me, that I have, uh, I've grown in my understanding of what does it mean to be a missionary? What does it mean to be on missions? Because we've fallen oftentimes into the trap that it's the special ones. And I think I'm the special one who is on mission, who is going to get things done. Over, at first, I was actually after seminary for like eight years in, in an urban church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and now for 14 years in London, and I thought, you know, we're going to make this happen. We're going to get up and go, and we're going to do some good things. But it's just such a brutal weight. It's such a false narrative to think about. The mission is mine, or the mission is those special people that have the calling from God to do something like this, to go on mission. You know, it's kind of like we have um, short-term missions are kind of like Muslims go to Mecca. Christians go on short-term missions to Mexico. This is our thing. If you're like a special mission, you know, special Christian, you go on a pilgrimage and you do a certain thing for a little while and then, okay, you got that out of your system. Now you can get on with your real life. And it's like, no, no, no. First of all, it's not about me making it happen, making this mission happen. Why? Because the mission is God's. God is the one who is on mission. He is the one. Yes, he called me. 
And he calls all of us to join him into his mission. He, though, is the one that's making it happen. Not me and my puny little efforts and my wife. And we're trying real hard to see things happen in London or wherever we would be. No, God is the one who's the mover and the shaker. God is the one making things happen. But you say, wait, wait, the Bible's clear, right? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Yes, that is true. We do need some people to leave the comforts of their home and go to another place. But if that's all we talk about, is that missions and missionaries are these special category of people who go off and do something over there and it becomes this super special category of people, then I think we miss the scriptures, the thrust of what God is up to. That the calling is not to me to make it happen or these special people. The calling is that all of us who claim the name of Christ, all of us who follow Jesus to join him in his mission. You know, see, if we read the Bible only as an individualistic sort of tool guide to get me to heaven so I can, you know, I've put my faith in Jesus and I follow him and I'm going to be a better person and I'm going to quit stealing and lying and cheating and, you know, all those little bad stuff, or at least not do it as much. Now, that's good. I want you to put your faith in Jesus and I want you to stop stealing and lying and cheating and all that bad stuff. Stop, you know, stop all that. But if that's all the Bible is about, is your little tool guide, then you've missed the picture. We need to gain a vision, a big vision of who God is and what his plan is as we read through the scriptures and come to a better understanding of our place in that plan of his mission. What is that mission? As you read the scriptures, the early stages there in Genesis 3, you see Adam and Eve fall into sin and you see the impact of that corrupting all of the earth in all kinds of different ways. And as we read through, you see God getting us to that point, the vision that John has in Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is the journey. That is the vision John had of where God is taking us as his people. And that is a glorious thing because I got some tears. My friends have as well. And I know if you're honest, you have. You've got some pain in your life and you've had some hardship. And you know there's hardship, there's pain in this world. But God has taken us to a place. His mission is to get us there where he will be in relationship with us. And he will wipe away the tears. And that mission is centered upon the person and work of his son, Jesus. Think about what Jesus says in Luke 24, after the resurrection. His disciples on the road to Emmaus, they're depressed. They're like, oh man, what have we done? We wasted our life. And Jesus meets them and he says, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus is telling them, what is the Bible about? The Bible Jesus read, the Old Testament, it's about Jesus' life, death, resurrection. That's the center of God's mission. It's the storyline that leads through the person of Jesus, the story 
the mission of God. And how is he going to do this? First 11 chapters is a very universal in scope of, of Genesis there. And the creation and fall and Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, the list of nations, the Tower of Babel. And then all of a sudden we get here to chapter 12. And this whole story zeroes down into this one man, Abram. And he's called to go to a new land that he doesn't know where he's going. God does. And so that doesn't mean God has given up. Hey, all these other people out here can't deal with them. No, let's just deal with this one. No. Abraham is singled out so that he can be a blessing. It says you, we will are blessed so that you can be a blessing. All nations on earth will be blessed through you, as our text says in verse 2. God wants to be, bring his blessings to the world, to every tribe and tongue, every people group. He wants to reveal the kind of God he is, the God of love and compassion and mercy. He wants to bring his rule of righteousness and justice to bear on this world. And so as you read the stories of the Bible, read them through the lens of that this is God at work bringing his healing through the person of Jesus, who is the faithful son of Abraham, who is the true Israelite, who is the heir of King David's throne. And it gets more interesting for us as we continue to read through this and think through this of who God, what God is doing and his plan to bring healing to the nations is that you and I are actually part of the answer to the question how God is going to bring a blessing to the nations. God is going to do it as he brings lives, uh, blessing to us, healing to us individually. And then through us, he's going to bring the wonders of redemption, of justification, adoption, sanctification. He's going to use us in the lives of those around us for his glory. In the process of healing us, God is going to use us to bring his healing to others by the power of the Spirit. And even as we struggle with our sin and our sanctification process, the patterns of sin that mess us up and struggle, we long to see healing. God is going to use us in that process for his glory, for his mission. You may have heard the word uh, glocal, and it's, you know, a sort of the jokingly, it's those people that care about the, uh, the poor starving in Africa while they're shopping at Whole Foods or something like that. But that is, you know, there's a more to glocal than that. Our God is glocal. He cares about the globe. He cares about the nations, all peoples, ethnic groups. But he cares about you, the local, the individual communities, individual families, individuals themselves. God is local, global and local. We come back here to Abraham as our story has come down now to this man living in Ur, one of the major cities in the, what is now Iraq. And he's a fairly wealthy man. He has a number of animals, he has, which is a sign of wealth in the day. He has a number of people working for him. And God broke into his pleasant life with this call. Verse 1 here, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, to your, and your father's household. So he's told to leave his family, leave everything that seems sort of normal, culturally acceptable. Everything seems steady and start out on this journey. 
That's what a missionary does. They leave what seems normal and go to somewhere else. I remember when we first landed in London in 2005, and you know, you're jet lagged with that, and I'm, we're in South Hall, the first neighborhood we lived in, and it was just like, what have I done? This is so different, and it's just strange. But you know what? God was with us. He's been with us those 14 years. It's not been easy. There's been hardships along the way. But God has been with us. He has been faithful in working through our mess to see good things happen for his glory. It wasn't the first time God had worked in my life. God had called me out in different other ways, but he did there in the early 2000s, call us to go to London. But some of you know what I mean. Maybe you've not moved to London, but God broke into your life. You know what it means that you were at work doing your thing, and then you had a coworker who started talking to you about God, and you're like, what? I don't know about all this stuff. You know, you had a Bible that was the Gideon's or something, I don't know, and it was collecting dust, and for whatever reason, that was a day you picked it up. Or you grew up in the church and you sort of heard those Bible stories and they're ah, that's kind of like meaningless stuff. And then, you know, you hit your 20s or whatever and something drastic happened and then all the blinders came off. It starts making sense. Wow, all this stuff I've heard before, it, it, it's, it's real. The call of God upon your life has become real for you. We had a testimony service. We could probably do that right now. So what, is, what does this call upon Abraham do? It says, go to the land that I will show you. Abraham doesn't know. He's got to, you know, you've got to think, he's got to have questions. What am I doing here? His family, his, his servants, people working with him. What are we doing? I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. This wonderful promises that he has. But he doesn't know where he's going, he just knows that God is with him. God is going to bless him. So how does Abraham respond? Verse 4 that we just read. Abram left as the Lord had told him. Abraham obeys. He, just get, he had questions, concerns, I'm sure, but he, get up, he gets up and goes. He packs his bags. He follows the Lord as he had been called. And is that the end of the story? Is that, wow, Abraham obeyed and now everything is hunky-dory and it's like a fairy tale and, oh, this is wonderful. No. And many of you know the story of Abraham. He had difficulties in his journey. And there's a number of them. But even right here in chapter 12, the author is very real with Father Abraham, our hero, quote-unquote, of the faith. Because he gets to the promised land and a famine comes. And back then, you didn't just go down to the grocery store to get some food. You had to grow your food. And there's no water. It becomes harsh. And so he goes down to Egypt where they had the Nile. There was food down in Egypt. And he gets down there. He's starting to wonder, wow, I got this beautiful woman, my wife. And it says there in verse 11, and as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me. But they will let you live. Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, 
what kind of plan is that? I'm sorry, honey, I'm scared, I'm going to die, they're going to beat me up, they're going to kill me. So let's just lie and let's, you know, throw you under the bus, so to speak, so that I can live. That is ridiculous. He betrays his wife to save his own skin. He doesn't trust that God's promises, that God is going to be faithful to his promises. He's got to figure it out. He thinks, oh, this, these promises are going to be derailed by these powerful, and the Egyptians were powerful. There's no doubt about that. The purposes of God in Abraham's life were not thwarted by his sin. And the purposes in your life will not be stopped. They'll not be thwarted by your sins, by your failures, by the messes that you make. You know, we all face situations in which we face fear. And maybe it's not violence like Abraham had at this point. But maybe your fear of losing money, maybe it's fear of your reputation, fear of relationships breaking down, losing just control of what you have. The culture that we live in, the churches that we are in, I'm so convinced that we are a fearful people and scared of what could happen down the line if we do this or we do that. And so what do we do? We make a plan. We try to figure it out. I exaggerate on my resume a little bit. I just won't say put that on my taxes so I can cut a little bit here. We do something to make it work for us. We don't engage in those relationships because what if those people down the line five years from now hurt me, my family, whatever, we make it safe, make it work for us. Our temptation is to deal with our fears, with our little silly plans of escape. And we avoid the risky behaviors that God calls us to in order to make safe choices, which really aren't that safe, if we're honest. As we look back at Abraham, thankfully, God is faithful. God does protect Sarah, his wife. And they are allowed to leave Egypt. And there's other problems that he has along the way. But years go by. And finally, in chapter 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him. God is on time. Maybe not when we want it, but he is on time. He showed up, and he was with Abraham the entire way. He had difficulties in his faith journey, but the Lord was faithful to this man who was flawed and sinful. God doesn't give up on Abraham to the promises that we have made. And so as we step back and we look, oh, wow, Father Abraham is such a hero. No, it's not about Father Abraham. This story, this hero is our Heavenly Father who is guiding along the way Abraham and his mess. And so that the line of Abraham can bring healing and blessings to the nations. He is the one controlling the actions here. You know, you think about Exodus, as I know you started a sermon series. What's the basic story? Is wickedness and evil and oppression going to stop God from accomplishing his purposes with his people? No. God showed up in the life for Mo to Moses. God shows up 
to Pharaoh. God shows up to the people who are in bondage. And if you're honest, I think you'll see that God has shown up and will continue to show up in your life. Opening doors to relationships, protecting you from illness, maybe allowing some hardship along the way to mold you into the man, into the woman that he desires you to be. Don't be so arrogant in thinking you can control your life. You can make it happen. No way. Our God is sovereign. And he is going to use the circumstances of life to mold you into the person that he wants to accomplish his mission in your life and then through you. So where does that leave us? Do we sort of, hey, let go and let God. He does it all. We don't have to do anything. And that's, there's, especially in our Presbyterian Reformed tradition, there's been that, hey, if God wants the natives saved, he'll, you know, send them a, a message in the sky or something. You know, it's not our responsibility. No, no, no. God is going to bring the gospel to the nations through his people. We, regular people like you and me, are the means that God is going to use normally to bring the gospel, to bring his compassion and love and mercy and kindness to the people around us. You know, what's interesting is you read the storyline of the Bible and you get sort of to the end, it feels kind of incomplete. We get to the end of Acts in chapter 28 and, you know, the Roman Empire is still ruthless. They're ruling the, the, air, the known world there around the Mediterranean. There's pagan worship everywhere. There are a few Christians, a little unsteady churches here and there, but it's not much. There's, uh, it's, it's hard. And we get to Paul, and he is in chains. He is in prison, waiting to be executed eventually. But at the end of Acts 28, it ends with, he is preaching without hindrance. Now, if I was in chains, that kind of feels like that's a, a little bit of a hindrance to my, you know, preaching ministry. But Paul here, the, the writer, tells us that Paul is preaching without hindrance. So you're like, what in the world? You're, you're locked up in prison. How is that without hindrance? I heard a, a lecture uh, a couple weeks ago on this, and the, the, um, the uh, man speaking said, you know, this is like just a little clue that God gives us through the writer Luke in the book of Acts that he is the one moving without hindrance. No, no, Paul does have struggles. He has hindrances when he's locked up, when he's about to be executed. But, but the, the movement of the kingdom is not about the apostle Paul. It's not about Abraham. It's not about any of our heroes of the faith through the scriptures. The hero is God. And God will move through his purposes no matter what the situations are. Yes, we will have simple struggles. Yes, there will be opposition, and sometimes it is violent, just like people faced in Exodus or throughout the Scriptures. And we wonder, what in the world is God doing? Is this even possible? And I say, yes, yes. It's like we're there in John 20 when the disciples, Jesus has been executed, and they're like, what in the world? And he shows up. And he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
in their weakest point, in their confusion and anxious, they're saying, Jesus shows up and he says, I am sending you out now. Not when you're triumphant. No, you're huddled and hiding and scared. Jesus is there bringing peace and sending his people out. See, if your faith is in Jesus, you personally are the answer to the promises that we read here in Genesis because of the sacrifice of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. We now are the children of Abraham. As Paul tells us, Galatians 3, know then is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You get that? Of faith you become a child of Abraham. As we repent of our sins, as we repent of our rebellion against our creator God, and we place our faith in the risen Lord Jesus, we become part of his family, Abraham's family, so to speak, and then he sends us out. There's going to be hardships, there's going to be struggles, but then he sends us out. What is that journey going to look like for you? Is he going to call you to go to London or go to Kenya or whatever? I don't know. Maybe. There may be someone in a room this big that God is calling you. You need to think about what does it mean to leave Indianapolis. But probably not for most of you. But wherever the mess of sin, the wreck that we see in this world, God is calling his people to have an impact where there are tears, where there is pain, where there is brokenness. God is bringing healing, and he's going to do it through his people by the power of the Spirit. You know, I am a missionary, and I, I claim that. But you are too, right here in this place. Let's redefine what does it mean to be a missionary. Let's redefine, let's rethink what does it mean to be on mission with our Heavenly Father, no matter where you are, you can love the people around you. You can love the immigrants that come to Indianapolis. You can love the elderly who are hurting, who are lonely. You can use your training as a doctor, an accountant, a carpenter, or whatever to bless people. You can support full-time missionaries like me and my family and others that your church supports. You can pray for us on a regular basis. The question is, what kind of part, what are you going to play in God's mission here in our world? What's your answer to the question? Are you just going to live a nice little Christian life and you come to church on Sunday and do your Christian thing and then the other six days or six and a half days you do you know, whatever else it is? No. God is calling you. Repent of your selfishness. Repent of your fear to step into risky relationships. Repent of putting your faith in a little box and come to Jesus with humility and he will meet you, he will bring you peace and he will send you out to join God in mission. Let us pray. Thank you Jesus that you loved us enough in our mess to die for us and not only that, you can promise to be with us, to bring us peace as we go out to do your will. Thank you, Father, that you are on mission in this world to wipe away every tear. In Christ's name we pray.